This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 7th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Carefully reducing nuclear arsenals has been a goal of U.S. presidents for a long time, but continued U.S. commitments to place allies under an umbrella of protection makes reducing those arsenals all the more challenging. It may not be surprising then, according to Chris Preble, director of foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute, that the Obama plan seems less than impressive. Well, I think the the report tells us that the the signals that both candidate Obama and President Obama has been sending um, are that the United States would like to reduce the importance of nuclear weapons in U.S. policy. Um, again, that's not a new thing. That's, that's the commitment we made under the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty many years ago. Uh, the challenge has been that it, it's difficult to do that. And I think one of the, one of the key things for me in reading the report is it, it, it reminds us of just how important um, the U.S. defense of others is in our overall posture, our, not just our nuclear posture, but, our, but our, our overall military posture. Over and over again in this document, it reaffirms the United, United States commitment, the importance of the security umbrella. Now, you know, the reason why we shifted to nuclear weapons in the first place back in the 1950s was because they had a deterrent value that was far greater uh, on a dollar-for-dollar basis than tens of thousands of U.S. troops standing in West Germany, for example. And there, and so we, we are now at a place where as the role of nuclear weapons is reduced, as the number of nuclear weapons has come down, quite dramatically, of course, since the Cold War. Um, this document reaffirms the, that while we're drawing down nuclear weapons and hoping to, to continue in that direction, we are not relinquishing our commitments we made to our allies. And that ultimately, the, the point that I make is that that's going to cost us more money, not less, because in order to maintain a comparable deterrent, um, you'd have to spend more. And I think that's the part that the, the document does not dwell on, for obvious reasons, because I think most Americans are not committed to um, extending the security umbrella indefinitely to our allies who are eminently capable of defending themselves. How would you begin to go about the process of withdrawing pledges right. to protect these countries? Well, I think, obviously, you do it very carefully, okay, because they have over time, grown accustomed to this security umbrella, and it would be both unwise and, and at some level, immoral to just cut these ties entirely. I think it's more about sh- signaling a shift and signaling uh, the realization that the, the cost of maintaining this defensive posture, this, this military posture around the world, is enormous. And the benefits are not uh, chiefly felt by the U.S. and by Americans, but they're, be- they're felt by others. And therefore, you know, my approach would be to more equitably distribute, distribute these uh, costs and benefits uh, around the world. Um, again, the document doesn't dwell on this because no one <laughs> dwells on this. But to me, it just really jumps out. Um, and, and I think... Even leading into, you know, before the document was published, my understanding, and just talking to people who had some knowledge of what was going on, um, the the term that comes up over and over again is reassurance, the importance of reassuring our allies of our commitment to their defense. Um, 
my argument has always been, it's not unique to me, that it is hard to maintain a credible deterrent on behalf of someone else. When you're talking about defending your own country, it's easy, far easier. Um, But, you know, questions are always going to be raised about a U.S. president's willingness to risk American lives and and even, even risk an attack, retaliatory attack on the United States itself in, in defense of, of an ally. With a protective umbrella provided by the United States, uh, what behaviors do heads of state engage in right. that they might not otherwise engage in? Right. I mean, this is the classic moral hazard argument. It comes up in the context of a lot of other things, not just defense policy. The, the, you know, the fear, and I think it's a legitimate fear, is that some countries behave in a more reckless fashion or at least in a somewhat less responsible fashion if they are confident that the United States will defend them at all costs. If you look at a country like Taiwan, which in terms of its strategic posture is very tenuous, okay, they are a very tiny country faced off against a very large and powerful and growing country, China. And yet, from time to time, they behave in a fashion that implies that there's something closer to strategic parity. Well, at some level, there is something approaching to strategic parity because you take what minimal amount Taiwan spends on its own defense and you add in what the United States spends to defend it, and that evens the playing field to a certain extent. But again, for me, it comes back to what are the obligations of the U.S. government to defend us, are all of us as taxpayers, American citizens, and what commitments has the U.S. government extended to others, maybe at a time not so long ago when, you know, the circumstances were very, very different. Um, And that's why I think you can look at a decision to form an alliance like NATO or some of our alliances in East Asia after the end of World War II, and they made perfect sense at the time and I think were, were, were appropriate. And then over time, they become less and less tenable as these countries are obviously more and more capable of defending themselves. Again, this is a subtext within the nuclear posture review. This is not a key theme, and it does not get a lot of attention, I think, in the media coverage of this report so far. But the, to me, it just jumps out of the page. The, the repeated references to reinsurance and the repeated references to how important it is for us to maintain the credibility of our commitment to defend our allies and the recognition that it becomes harder to do that uh, and it requires a greater effort by the United States if we continue this process of shifting away from nuclear weapons to conventional weapons. For those who favor an even more dramatic reduction in the uh, nuclear arsenal, it seems like you sort of hit bottom <laughs> to the extent right. that there are, we have continued commitments to countries around the world and there's no there's a, at a point there seems to be no further reduction that can really be done without withdrawing some commitments well perhaps but of course deterrence has always been a very um a, a very tricky thing because it's based on perceptions right and it's based on an adversary adversary's assessment of your likelihood of retaliating Okay, relative to what kind of an attack? Is it only a direct attack on your soil? Is it an attack on one of your allies? Is it an attack on one of your strategic partners who's not a formal ally? I can see why our current commitments and our understood and implied commitments could be used as someone as a justification for maintaining a current level of nuclear weapons. But I think that I still think you can maintain a credible deterrent, one that was not strictly defined as defending an, or, or deterring an attack against the United States, but also against our allies with a far smaller nuclear arsenal than we have today. 
So I think that you know the the, the new START treaty, so the so-called new START treaty, you know, is a signal in the right direction. But we could go even farther. It would not require us to adopt the force posture that I advocate, this grand strategy that I advocate. Um, so I think we would will likely to see continued move uh, a downward slope in the number of nuclear weapons. Again, it's consistent with our pledges under the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty to move in the direction of a world without nuclear weapons, um, and it would not require us to abrogate these commitments uh, writ large. Chris Preble is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read the latest nuclear proliferation update at cato.org.